There's a scripture in the book of Corinthians when Paul is talking to the church. And Paul says to them, and I'm going to get to my point here in a minute, all right? But I, I just feel like saying some of this stuff. And I've learned in my years that I do as much good when I'm rambling around like this as I do when I think I'm doing what I'm supposed to know. But the Bible says in the book of Corinthians, Paul talking to them, he says that we all see now with open face. In other words, without help, just use your eyes. Okay? But then he says that when his presence is manifest, when, when we worship and his presence is manifest, that we see like through a glass. Okay? Let me explain what that means to you. It's very simple. Hit me like a ton of bricks. I'm blind as a bat. If it wasn't for these things, I drive by Braille in the evenings. I just kind of drive, just feel that over there and feel that over there. In fact, they've got me a driver. If it's after dark at the church, they've assigned a young man, God rest his soul, to drive me around so I don't bump into stuff. I'm blind as a bat. But <clears throat> I like to hunt. I don't like to drag deer out of the woods. That's why I had two boys. But I like to hunt. And I passed seven bucks this year that many of you would have slobbered because I did not want to drag a deer out of the woods. You're pretty safe you come by my stand. Unless you something else. I'm going to shoot you if you something else. Get on that cell phone. Hey, boy. But if it's just me, I ain't dragging you. But I've learned when I'm hunting, especially out west. Now, where we are is like here. It's dense woods. This is extra, by the way. We'll charge extra for this. I, um, out in that west is a different sort of hunting. You glass and stalk. I like the glassing. I don't like the stalking. I glass and ride. But you, you pull them binoculars up to your eyes, and you can see a way off. Even blind as I am, I got church bought me a Swarovski, and when they told me what they paid for it, I about had a heart attack. But I got a spotting scope. It's a Swarovski. Still got to wear the glasses, and it's not just binoculars. But you look down through it, and it goes down and out. And man, I can see way over yonder, way further than I can shoot. And uh, I get to reading that scripture, and he says that when. God's presence is manifest, and we know God's presence is everywhere all the time. He fills heaven, time, space, earth. But when we worship, it manifests itself. He makes his presence known. And so you have a guest come in here. They don't know God from Elvis Presley. <laughs> they can't understand this. We're in a world where they want to argue about every minute thing and split every hair. Well, here's what the value of the presence of God is. Brother, you can come in here for the first time, and you can argue with me about doctrine. We can split hairs until we're bald-headed. You're not quite so long, but anyhow. <laughs> oh, I ain't picking on you. I'm, I'm right there. I got a horseshoe for me. And then I got a hole in the back and they're racing for the middle. <laughs> There's one thing you can't argue with. You can't argue with what you feel. I can't explain it. I don't understand it. But I cannot argue with the fact that I feel it. It is the undeniable part of God that no matter how hard your heart is, when you come in this environment and we behave like an apostolic church is supposed to, God's presence settles down, it broods, it manifests, and that person may be standing, he might be an agnostic. I live in the middle of a college, an explosion of universities. There's 33 universities within 30 miles of my house. And they're still a bunch of idiots. They ain't got sense good enough to get out of the rain. You know, educated don't mean smart, by the way. Some of the dumbest folks I know got degrees. My grandpa used to say, I'm not sure I understand everything I know about this. Come on, think. You had coffee. Get it going. Shake it. 
and they come in our services, and boy, they won't argue. They I can tell when they walk through the door, they won't come to argue. I'm not arguing with you. Well, I want to talk to the pastor. He don't talk to anybody before church. He'll talk to you after church. Because I want them to have to look me in my face, and then I want to ask them this question. I understand you disagree with this, this, and this, but let's talk about what you felt. Can you explain to me what you felt? Well, no. Well, let me explain it to you. You felt you saw the presence of God. And when Paul says, we look with an open face, he said, and then when God manifests, it's like we hold the binoculars up, and all of a sudden, that which was far off is enlarged. My worship, my praise makes him manifest. And when he does, it's like me reaching over to a guest that's here and saying, you don't borrow my binoculars? You, you want to borrow my binoculars? Because when you start seeing what it is that you're feeling, that's when people step back and go, oh, and the next thing you know, oh, woe is me. Woe is me for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. He didn't get there until he got into the presence of God. So let me just encourage you today, and I'm going to shut up and preach in a minute, but let me encourage you to do this. Keep doing this. Keep worshiping. Keep praising God. I don't care if you have to take the chairs out in the parking lot every service and bring them back. Keep worshiping God. Because let me tell you something. There's a lot of churches out there with fine buildings and no manifestation. <laughs> but when I enter into his presence, when I walk into his essence, the next thing I know, there is illumination that comes to me. The next thing that's got me messed up is my oldest boy is proposing to a girl this next week, and I have been a mess. I'm not ready for this. He went ring shopping, and I went with him. That was a mistake. After about the second store, I stayed in the car, not just because I was sick of shopping, but because I was tired of crying in the ring store looking a fool and I don't understand people that tell their kids you know when you get 18 you're leaving I don't understand that maybe there's something wrong with me but I tell mine please don't leave stay here y'all don't go nowhere please stay home uh, and uh, <clears throat> I don't like it amen now if they'll give me a grandbaby we'll get over it <laughs> Praise God. Uh, I want you to direct your attention to the book of first kings and again, I'm not fixing to preach a full-blown sermon, so everybody relax. I know I'm standing between you and a roast and gravy, so I understand the danger that I'm in. Uh, worst, most dangerous place to be is between a Pentecostal and his lunch. Amen. Uh, so I'm on a hurry. I really am. I'm not going to preach the whole thing, but I am going to give you the revelation that God gave me. In 1 Kings chapter 17, beginning in verse 8, I'm so thankful for these iPads because I can use a 24 font. And then I still have to have my goggles. But in verse 8, it is our tradition that we stand. I don't know what y'all do around here. First of all, I want everybody to relax. There's going to be some times in this service today that we just wait a little while. That's all right. When I go visit my family, I don't have to talk all the time. And I got some cousins that think you have to. We put them at the kids' table outside. I just want to drink coffee and shut up. But uh, the Bible says, And the word of the Lord came unto him, verse 8, chapter 17. The word of the Lord came unto him, saying, <clears throat> this is God speaking to Elijah. Arise and get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon. 
and dwell there. Because I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. There's two commands in these two verses, chapter 8 and 9, verses 8 and 9. The first is the command to Elijah, go to Zarephath. That wasn't a request. He said, get you high up. Get up and get to Zarephath. It's a command. How many there military guys here, retired military, anybody ever been in the military here? We got one over here. Your sergeant didn't offer suggestions, did he? He said, do this. You didn't have a committee meeting about it neither. You did what you's told. It's odd to be in a church with one, one veteran. My church is made up about 95% veterans. Seal Team 6 is about 15 minutes from my house. Them was the one that shot Osama in Jesus' name. Uh, Pray a name, pray a name. <laughs> so God commanded, y'all smile. Some of y'all scaring me. Come on, it ain't wrong to smile. Show me your teeth. I don't care if you paid for them. I want to see them. <laughs> so the Lord commands two people. He commanded Elijah to go to Zarephath, and he commanded the widow woman to sustain him. But there was a problem. Verse 10, so he arose, he was obedient, went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman, she was a widow, you need to, need to note that, was there gathering some sticks. And he called to her and said, didn't ask her, wasn't kind, obviously Elijah might not have been married yet, uh, fetch me, that is not the way you start out with my wife. Just, if y'all are not married, fellas, don't do it. There ain't enough months or days in the week for this man to fix that. <laughs> Fetch me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in your hand. Bring me a sandwich. And she said, as the Lord thy God liveth. I don't have a sandwich. I have not a cake. All I've got is a handful of meal in a barrel. And a little oil and a cruise. And behold, I'm gathering two sticks that I may go in and dress it for me and my son that we may eat it and die. She had already reconciled herself. It was over. <coughs> and Elijah said to her, now this is the part that gets hard for me. Elijah said unto her, fear not. Go and do as thou hast said. Make the cake. First. But bring it to me. Now, I'm a man. I'm not set up to take stuff from widow women. Real men don't do that. Real men provide. Real men fix. Let me just stop right there. This generation seems to want to not work. Come here, let me pray for you. But we're not set up as men to go to a woman that has nothing and say, yeah, I know you're going to starve to death. I know you think you're starving. That's all you got, but give it to me. That's, that's, that's not what we do. That's counter to every instinct that God put in a man. We men, we're fixers. Now, we don't like to fix it a bunch. But we won't fix it once and then stay fixed. Don't have any boys, by the way. There's a guy that lives in my house called Nobody. He does everything. Did you do it? Nope, what me? Did you do it? Nope, what me? So nobody did it. He did it. So, we're not set up to do that. And, and, and Elijah had been sent by God, commanded to go ask a certain widow woman for everything she had. Boy, that runs counter. Now you understand why I hate taking an offering? Because while I am a preacher, first I am a man. Now, if you want to get my dander up, you let people start wasting God's money. It makes me mad as a wet hen. Y'all don't even know what a wet hen is. And Elijah said unto her, Fear not, go do as thou hast said, make the cake, make the little, but make it for me first, and bring it to me, and then afterward make for thee and for thy son. And she probably thought, yep. He's an idiot. 
He apparently didn't get it. This is all I got, dang bath. There ain't going to be no more after this. This is all I got. What, you, what part of eat this and die did you miss? This is stuff I think when I read the Bible. You don't think that? When I read this story, I went, didn't hear him. Didn't hear him. And then he starts blaming God. Verse 14, for thus saith the Lord God of Israel. Remember, he had been sent by God. He knew he had been sent by God. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, the barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruise of oil fail until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. And verse 15, she saved her own life. She could have just eaten that meal and died. She would have just eaten that meal and died. But God sent a man to do something counter to his nature. Not to take, but in order to unlock. And that's the key word here today. Giving is not the kingdom of God taking. If you think that way, keep your money. Keep your money. We don't need it. But when you get the revelation that my sacrifice unlocks, verse 15, and she went and did according to the saying of Elijah. She just saw him as a man. And he, Elijah, and she, and her house, all of her family, did eat many days. Did eat many days. God took the little handful of meal and the oil and fed the prophet, her, not just her son, her house. When you read the house of in the Bible, it's talking about the whole bunch. Think family reunion. She and he and her house did eat many days, and the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil fail. God unlocked something supernatural when she finally obeyed. You can be seated. I'm going to talk for just a few minutes, I promise. And, that, and, and, and that's not a Jeff Arnold few minutes. That's a real few minutes. You can stop. But don't leave. Just sit right over there or something. I don't trust skinny apostolics. So you just stay right over there where somebody can look at you and keep an eye on you. You know, when people say the Holy Spirit, all us old apostolics go, he's not from here. It's the Holy Ghost, bless the Lord, oh, my soul. They're actually both biblical terms, but you're just not from here. I want to talk to you for just a few minutes about unlocking the supernatural. And uh, I, I, I'll tell you a story here in a bit that'll make you understand a little bit more. And then we're going to, we're going to sacrifice not according to what we feel like is sacrifice. We're going to sacrifice according to what Jesus defined as sacrifice. How many of you want to do it God's way? How many of you want to unlock supernatural provisions for your church, for your family? Can I ask that again? Because I think it's only me. Uh, how many of you want to unlock supernatural provisions for your church? Amen. How many understand that your budget right now is not going to handle your vision? Well, okay. We're going to go slow. How many of you understand that your present budget is not going to sustain your vision? So God always benefits and blesses his church in two ways. I'm not even going to preach. I'm going to preach. That means you holler in different spots. Uh, come on, y'all smile. My God, some of y'all look like you got the Holy Ghost mad about it. God sustains his church by growth. There's more people tithing and giving. Many hands make light work. Remember your mama telling you that? And then she made you do it by yourself? I mean, his mother ever whipped you and said, if you don't dry it up, I'll give you something to cry about. Yeah. Vowed I'd never do it to my kids. Do it all the time now. Yeah. I will beat you. To, within a, I don't know where an inch of my life is, but I've been there many times. 
Of course, we didn't shoot each other in schools, and I'll just let that lie. That's a whole other sermon. Um, you ought to, you ought to wear their behinds out. Now, not their head or their face or their, you know, but their behind. God gave you that thing for setting and remembering. <laughs> I'm not your pastor, but I'm going to help you a minute. If you don't use that for what God intended it for, you're probably going to be visiting them through glass. Why did I get on that? Jesus, help me. But God does his church. He improves his church two ways. He makes many more people. But he also never brings as many people as the needs that are presented. There's an old saying in church work. There's never enough money to meet all the needs. Y'all have all heard that in some form or another. That's not true. That is a false statement. And I've made it for years. Grew up around highly respected elders that taught me that. But the more I get to studying and looking into this chapter and this scripture, it's not true. He shall provide all. Oh, boy. We Pentecostals can thank our worship, but we can't thank and worship. So we're going to thank a while, and then we'll worship. The second way that God benefits the kingdom and finances his vision, watch this, is by unlocking supernatural provisions for the faithful who sacrifice. Not the guy who never ties and comes in and gives a sacrifice offering. If that's you, keep your offering. None of this applies to you. But to the faithful man who, and woman and kids who tithe of their increase. Now, tithe is about integrity. We don't know what you make. We don't. We can figure up your tithes and we can extrapolate from there 10 times, but we don't know if you're paying tithes properly. We don't know what you make. It's about integrity with God. The tithe is not about being blessed. The tithe is about rebuking the devourer. Read your Bible. But that's all it does. It keep, You know that when you got more month than money? I start checking the checkbook. What would we miss? But the offering is about blessing. It is not a predetermined amount. It is a required thing. Tithes and offering are involved in that. If you don't give, if you give tithe and not offering, you're still a thief. Go, go read your Bible. Nehemiah chapter 3. Go read your Bible. Tithes and offering. It's included in the same sentence. When your mama says go to the store, get milk and eggs. If you just come home with the milk, you're in trouble. Come on, I'm trying to get out here where we all understand the same thing. But your offering is about your response to God's goodness and placing his needs in equal order with your desires. So, again, we're just, God's already showed out. We have to understand that I do not, you know, it's like your dad giving you kudos for doing what you're supposed to do. I don't know how y'all were raised, but I was raised by an old blockhead German who did, if you just did what you're supposed to do, you don't get attaboys for that. You get beat if you don't. But we act like we give our tithes and our offering and God owes us the world. He said, no, you determine the level of supernatural things that I am allowed to give to you. Whatsoever measure you decide to meet it out, it is with that same measurement that I am allowed to supernaturally unlock it for you. We got people who want a deal. We always looking for a deal. This never goes on sale. This never goes on sale. He said, whatsoever measure you meet it out, uh, that is the measure.
measurement that I am bound to use in unlocking my supernatural abilities to provide for you. We always, you know, we're, we're Pentecostals. We want to put a dollar in the offering and we want to get mad because we didn't receive a $10,000 blessing. Can I tell you something? You'll hear a lot of these TV preachers sow a seed, sow a seed. When you hear that term, it means I am lying. Okay, it's Greek for I'm telling you a lie. Turn the radio off. God never promised you to give you money for money. I've read that Bible from kiver to kiver, as my grandma says. Where'd she get an eye and cover? I've read it from kiver to kiver. No, you haven't. You read it from cover to cover. But, and it's not Africa. It's Africa. Yeah, that's what I said, Africa. Try explaining inflation to your grandmother. Yeah. Well, Grandma, a penny's not worth a penny. Yes, it is. Been a penny my whole life. No, Grandma, it don't work like that. Well, $100 is not what $100 used to be. Yes, it is. It's $100. Looks at you like you're an idiot. So finally, you just go, you're right. Let's eat. So here's, here's what i got to get you to understand. God never promised that he was going to give you dollar for dollar. If you give me $1,000, I'm going to give you 10 He never promised that. But he did promise that you would never want. Sometimes we sing a song, even when I don't see it, he's working. Y'all sing that song around here? Even when I don't see it, he's working. And our church was singing that, and I ran up and grabbed the mic and said, I've been preaching that for 10 years, you numb skulls. Now you're shouting about it. I love y'all, but you're dumb as a sack full of doorknobs. Come on. God, I believe with all of my heart that while you were worshiping this morning, that God healed cancer that you did not know was in your body. I believe that while we were worshiping, God took a malady in your child's heart and in his body and he just fixed it because he don't even want you to worry about it. My baby boy was in the hospital. He had RSV, residual RSV. Three weeks old. Three weeks old, my baby boy, six foot two, about 195. Pick a house up to get a handle put on it. Big old strapping boy. But when he was a baby, we called him, his name's Cade. His brother couldn't say Cade. It came out Tata. And so the poor kid's been tater his whole life. Not to his face anymore because he'll punch you, but behind his back. All of a sudden, a lady who had been in nursing for over 20 years in pediatric nursing reached up and literally jerked apart all the wires on my baby, scooped him up and ran down the hall to a treatment facility, a treatment room, screaming, I need a doctor right now. His blood sat had went down to 15%. He was as gray as this carpet, and he was struggling to get a move oxygen. That's what it does. RSV, you can't breathe. And she panicked, and I fell on my knees, and I screamed at the top of my lung in the hall of that hospital with everybody around in Jesus name I didn't care who saw me I didn't care what they thought I didn't care how anybody felt about it I don't care if you don't even believe in Jesus uh, I don't care what you do but I firmly believe that the reason that his blood oxygen level went from 15% to 97 in less than 90 seconds, which they tell me is a medical impossibility, was because that 
I, uh, for years, uh, for generations, uh, had been serving God faithfully with tithe and offering and sacrificial lifestyle. So let me tell you something. God doesn't always promise he's going to give you dollar for dollar, but how much is your child's life worth? How much is it worth to you that when your baby's burning up with a fever that you can lay your hand on them in Jesus' name and the fever breaks? I'm here to tell you, he didn't promise dollar for dollar, but he did say, I'll take care of you. Now I feel like preaching. We have a problem at Pentecost. We are so geared toward spiritual matters. But the problem we have, and that's good, but the problem we have is that sometimes we think if we pray enough and fast enough and worship enough, that's enough. Your commission did not say, go ye therefore, pray, fast. Make yourself physically ill with fasting. I hate the Daniel fast. I just go ahead on fast. Let's do the whole deal. I wish the Bible read, and the lions ate Daniel like a bucket of fried chicken. I'm sick of people telling me about a Daniel fast. If you're eating, you ain't fasting. You're dieting. And all those are four-letter words. I've been on a diet since the eighth grade. Still fat. But listen to me. We get so caught up in, in excusing ourselves with a spiritual crutch. If I just fast and pray enough and I'm spiritual enough and if our church is spiritual enough, it's going to be like a magnet. Uh, they're going to be driving by and their car is going to turn into our church like a Dunkin' Donuts with the hot sign on. My car does that. Krispy Kreme, whoo, the devil is a liar. When that light is on. Gives me the willies. That is not the truth. He said, go ye therefore, teaching. It's not just prayer and fasting alone. There are works that are required of the church to be the body of Christ. We have to witness. We have to teach Bible studies. But I'll give you one more little word about the Great Commission. The next verse, after go ye therefore baptize and teach in the name of Jesus, blah, blah, blah. The next verse said, and teach them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. That's Jesus speaking. It's called discipleship. Here's what we say. I'm going to pray and fast and bring a few people to church every few years. But it's pastor's job to disciple. No, it's not. The great, the great Commission said you, watch me, the original language means you have to provide for the necessities of the body. Jesus, help me. The problem, the problem with just prayer and fasting, is that it deals with our consecration of our flesh. But then we stop because then we get to the part that's out of our comfort zone. You mean you want me to witness to that big old guy over there? Kind of like Noah, like Jonah. Hey, Jonah, go to Nineveh. Huh? Uh, check up just a minute, Jesus. Let's talk about this. They kill preachers in Nineveh. Surely you are mistaken. And if you are not, I'm going to act like I didn't hear you because I'm allergic to getting killed. 
And we do the same thing. We rely too much on our prayer and fasting and personal consecration that we forget. Watch me. Watch me. Nothing supernatural is going to happen outside of what has already happened with that. The fact that you were changed into a new creature, a special change. The old man is put away. You died. The new man is born. You have a species change. That's supernatural. But at that point, the rest of the supernatural stuff, watch me, is exemplified in Pentecost. Now, I'm going to tell you something, and then we're going to get to it. At Pentecost, everything in the feast cycle of, of Israel, they did the same thing on the same date every year. All right? Leading up to Pentecost, no leaven in anything. Now, I love biscuits. I have evidence. Lord had to help me this morning. They had biscuits and gravy at the hotel. Pass me on by. Nothing happens with that. Hear me when I tell you this. We have to get it in our heads that there is a secondary step into the supernatural, and it is when we begin to behave in the manner of Pentecost. What do you mean, preacher? Anybody ever had unleavened bread? There are some characteristics about unleavened bread. First of all, nobody wants it. You put leaven in it, it's a biscuit. Everybody wants that. You take it out, it's a hockey puck, and the dogs don't want it. Communion? There's a reason why we make the communion wafer. awful it's flat it's dry it's hard it has no taste except for taste that's a deep theological expression um it has none of that but watch me watch me when you put leaven in it everybody wants it and nobody can have it if you're on a diet is there a pasta diet that i can get on can a brother get some pasta and some bread? I could eat bread all day long and pasta just, just pile it up right there. None of that. You can have all the cardboard you want. If it tastes good, spit it out, you'll die. What am I trying to tell you? I'm trying to tell you that at Pentecost, watch me, up till Pentecost in the feast cycle, no leaven. But at Pentecost forward, everything was to be with leaven. Before Pentecost, everything, watch me, was given in a singular portion for the worshiper. But at Pentecost, he said for the first time, and from there on in every feast where you offered bread, you had to make two loaves, watch me, of two-tenth deals. It wasn't a singular tithe. And you added leaven to it. And I got to researching and I asked some people and finally figured it out. You know what those two loaves were for? One was for you. Watch me. The other was to be given away. Part of Pentecost uh, is that God launches us um, from the internal inspection uh, to the external usage. Uh, and he said your Holy Ghost uh, and the power that comes from it is not just to save you, but it's to empower you uh, to operate supernaturally you, you're not wanting to help me hear me some of us come here and think if I talk in tongues it's over for me I'm good I'm done check that off God said no sir along with that Holy Ghost uh, came a responsibility uh, to behave uh, externally uh, in a supernatural dimension yes. how many have heard recently somebody say why don't we see miracles like they used to? I asked my dad that. My dad lives in Russellville. Y'all pray for him. I went to Russellville last year, and I'm convinced it is the very gate and doorpost of Hades. I went in July. Never again. Maybe January. I will not be back to Russellville in July. No more. 
I'm not doing it. I told him, Pop, when you die, die in January. Let's schedule it for January. I, I, I said, Dad, why don't... I hear people ask me all the time in these ministerial forums, they ask me to sit on and answer questions like I know something. I don't know nothing. People, how'd you grow your church? I don't know. We had church. I prayed people through. Invited people. Took to Bible studies. You know, they, they don't want to hear that. They want a four-step four plan that just automatically works. And that's not how that works. I said, Dad, why, don't, why do you think they don't see miracles? He said, insurance. Come again? He said, insurance. He said, they saw miracles because they had no options. And God got the first and the last shot. He said, now the doctor gets the shot as long as the insurance will pay for it. And we still want to step out in the supernatural when the insurance won't pay for it. Then we're, oh my God, I got to have a hoof. The insurance can't fix it and the doctor can't fix it. We must have a supernatural dimension to our lives or we're not going to accomplish the great commission that God has given us. The missing ingredient for revival today in many churches is the principle of desperation. We are so blessed. I'm going to the Philippines in March. I grew up there for a large part of my life. There's one thing we used to tell all the ministers when they come. We'd say, now listen, do not tell any group to worship God. Because if you do, the service is over. You'll never get it back. Don't say, let's lift our hands and give the Lord praise. Boom. Yet the median income over there is less than $400 a year for a family. Average family is six people. We are so abundantly blessed. We miss the desperation of life. I've seen six and 800 people receive the Holy Ghost in under 30 seconds in the Philippines. I've watched it again and again and again. And finally it dawned on me. The one thing that they have that we don't is an absolute desperation and dependence on the supernatural power of God. But I've also stood on that platform and watched gorders the side of both of my fists have faces distorted. And I've watched them as I stood right there just disappear and that face straighten right back up and them start screaming and grab their neck and going, ah, ah, what is this going on? I have watched them by the thousands have legs grow. I know some of you looking at me like, hmm, I don't know. It's because we have learned to fast and we've learned to pray but we've left our divine expectation of the supernatural behind God wants to restore our understanding of the supernatural but there's only one thing that unlocks the supernatural in Mark chapter 12 this is not my style of preaching. If I ever get to come back, if I'm ever blessed to come back, by the way, your pastor and his wife are unbelievably classy hosts. Take good care of me. Fed me stuff I'm not supposed to have, but my wife's not here and do whatever I want to. I'm in charge when she's gone to Walmart. I ain't scared of her either. I can outrun her. <coughs> But I began to ask God several years ago, God, please help me understand this. I, I want to see miracles. And then God said, okay. And I was reading my Bible one day, and the Holy Ghost smote me. I prayed this prayer a lot. God, I've sacrificed for you. I came and took this church with 11 people coming to it. Five tithe pairs counting me. $680,000 in debt. They red-tagged the building for no entry two weeks after I took the church. We went from 11 people to 7 people because I'm powerful like that. We was having revival in reverse. 
We were two years behind on the mortgage. The bank was fixing to take the building. It was not finished. They were occupying it illegally. They did not have a certificate of occupancy, but the pastor had just been defying the city that was there. He didn't have a choice. He was getting sick. He was an older gentleman, great man of God, started the church, gave him the highest honor, but his body was just failing him. And when I came there, that's what I took. $680,000 in debt plus an additional $25,000 on credit cards at 21% interest. Five tithe payers, one of those left. We were down to four with me. And I began to ask God for supernatural help. And in my asking, I made this statement. I said, God, over and over I did it. God sometimes has to be very patient with us because we're so dumb. Right here. Dumbest of them all. I said, God, you know I've sacrificed. And I said, but Lord, I need you to show me supernatural things. He said, okay. Reading my Bible later that afternoon, Mark chapter 12, verse 41. And Jesus sat over against the treasury. And beheld how the people cast money into the treasury. And many that were rich cast in much. Lord, we need some of them. We need some rich ones casting in much. Can I just say to you that the kingdom of God has never, ever been built on wealthy people, ever. It's been built on middle class, hard-working, God-fearing, sacrificial people. That's why when a young man takes an old established church with elders sitting there that have given everything they've got and they want to go taking that thing charismatic, it makes me fighting mad because I don't have a right to give up on my feet what they paid for on their bloody knees. Verse 42, and there came a certain poor widow. God's always talking about these widows. This poor widow, and she threw in two mites, which make a farthing, one farthing. And he called unto his disciples, and he saith unto him, Verily I say unto you, that this poor widow has cast in more than all they which have cast into the treasury. In other words, not just the one wealthy person's gift, but more than all of them put together. And their reaction to Jesus was much what mine would have been. Yep. It's finally getting to him. Then he says, for all they did cast in of their abundance. Everybody say superfluous. The literal word in your Bible in Mark 12, 44, that's translated abundance is literally translated superfluous. Everybody say unnecessary. unnecessary. It's stuff that's extra, that's superfluous. They don't need it. They are going to still go on the vacation. They're going to still buy the new lake house. They're going to still get the new boat. The kids are still going to the finest colleges. They're still going to drive the greatest and the latest and new things. Uh, they're going to wear this and they're going to send their kids here and they're going to do all these things and they're going to do their vacations and they're going out to eat six days a week and everything. They're going to do all this stuff that they plan to do because they're rich. And he said that they gave out of stuff that they didn't need. But she hath given out of her want. The word there translates literally out of her necessity. And he, three days, this happened three days before Christ was crucified. You got to get it in context. Three days, 72 hours before they were going to nail him to a cross for my sin and yours. Uh, don't tell me he wasn't aware of the timeline. Yeah. He's God in flesh. He knew exactly the moment that they were going to drive a spike through his hands. But three days prior to that, uh, with the weight of all the sin of the world on him, he thought it was important enough to gather his church together and go show them what it meant and define sacrifice from God's point of view. And when I read that scripture, I immediately fell back on my face and began to beg God for his forgiveness. And all of a sudden, the Holy Ghost, I'm not this smart, this is God. The Holy Ghost spoke to me. 
and said, the only thing that will unlock my supernatural power is your biblically defined sacrifice. God is sitting over against the treasury today. And he's saying, sacrifice is not an amount. Some of you make more money than others. And $100 to you is nothing. And $5,000 to you, yeah, that's $5,000. But I can do it. It won't be a problem. I can write a $10,000 check. Not a big deal. I can write a $20,000 check and it's not going to end my world. But there's others in here that they couldn't scrape together $20,000 if you put a gun to their head and threatened their children. So it's not an amount. That's what Jesus is showing them. Sacrifice is not an amount. Sacrifice is defined by God as what effect it will have on your life in the next six months to a year. And if what you give today will not affect your vacation and it will not affect what your plans are and if you can still go out and eat every day and if you can still buy the car you want, it's not divinely ordered sacrifice. Therefore, it does not open divinely ordered supernatural provisions. And so, just very simply, defining in our minds what I just defined biblically for you has every one of you stepping back and you're thinking what I had in my head and you're sitting out there doing the math right now and that's what you need to be doing because God sent me to the body of Christ hating to take an offering. I hate it with all of my heart but I preach about 40 of these a year. In the last three years, I've raised somewhere around 12, 12 and a half million dollars in churches just like this from people just like you to move churches forward. We have a problem here. We've got everything going in the right direction, but we've got no place to put the hungry hearts of Jonesboro that God has called you to reach. God didn't just this man wander into a town and said, this looks good. No, God took him from a comfortable position and he brought him to an uncomfortable comfortable place uh, and he put him where he's having church in his house uh, and here we sit debt free uh, putting up money every month uh, God's been good to us uh, but I want to propose one thing that I don't want you to forget uh, your commission is not done uh, your job is not done uh, you have not fulfilled the vision uh, that God has for this city Come on, let me preach to you. Help me preach a little while. Let me get in your head. There is more to do than we have done. And it's going to require our sacrifice. But what do I get for sacrifice? Well, the Bible said... She didn't give a portion of what she had. You want to talk about giving something that's going to impact your lifestyle? I have a little handful of meal and a little bit of oil, and I'm going to make one little meal. My son and I are going to split it, and we're going to die. And God commanded a prophet, a preacher, a man of God to go and ask them. Let me be very clear with you. I've told you two or three times I hate to take an offering, and I do, and it's because of my flesh. But I'm starting to realize more and more and more that God called me to do what I'm doing today. Not for me. None of this money's going to me. But because God has given us a job and the time is running short. You don't have to be a prophecy guru to read your Bible and realize never has the political structure in America been as tenuous as it is right now. There are two forces up there, two rabid dogs trying to rip this nation apart at the seams. And I don't know who you vote for and I don't care and ain't none of my business. But I am telling you this, we live in perilous times. 
And what we're going to do for Jesus Christ, uh, we can't wait till next year or when that magical whatever you want to put in that blank happens for us to do it. We got to do it right now. Uh, when everything with God was never put off, uh, today is the day of salvation. Uh, today is the day of the Lord. Uh, he said, don't put it off. Do it right now. I'm preaching to somebody today from the bottom of my heart. Uh, you don't have enough money to do what needs to be done. Uh, but if you will sacrifice uh, according to this definition of sacrifice, beyond what you planned beyond what you think you can afford and give of your actual necessity I promise you what happened in our church will happen in this church and there will be a supernatural door unlocked my church have averaged 225 members this year because they got a hold of this will break ground on a th almost a $30,000 square foot building. Same contractor you're using. We will have more than half of it in cash. Probably two-thirds of it will be cash. And we're going to pay it off in four to five years. Because every Sunday those people come in there and they look around at the guests that are there and they remember there's where I was but somebody sacrificed to build a bigger building where they can come and feel God's presence. This is not about us building a building so we can say, look what we've done, and we can compete with so-and-so church across the street. We're not trying to build the Taj Mahal. It's going to be pretty. It's going to be classy, but we're not trying to build something fancy. We need square footage to put broken hearts and to put lives back together. We need a place for our children to grow up, lay it on their face before God with the anointing of the Holy Ghost shaking them to the core of their mind. Yes. <laughs> Come on, brother so-and-so, whoever you... Get your calculator. I'm going to tell you a small, just, just one little story. I'm 22 years in, the morning we had 268 people crammed in a sanctuary. We had 53 absentees. We don't count an absentee until they become a regular tithing member. If everybody shows up in my church on the same Sunday, somebody's standing in the parking lot. I'm in the same shape you're in. <coughs> They're parking on the streets and parking in the grass. We're paying neighbors rent to let them park in the front yards. <clears throat> it's insanity. But we don't know a soul, a penny in the world. How did you pay that $600,000 off? We got a hold of supernatural giving. We got a hold of supernatural giving. And it began to revolutionize the lives of the members. You say, well, if I do this one year, I can't do it next year. That's not true. You'll do more next year. You know why? Because God unlocks supernatural things when we sacrifice according to his definition of sacrifice. <clears throat> Evan Primo, I raised him from the time he was four years old when his mom and daddy came in and got the Holy Ghost. Evan Primo is a power lifter. And uh, he's going to try out for the Olympic team. Strong was a bull ox. I, do, I was going to do a, a, a illustration in one of my sermons about standing. And I had him come pick me up standing. He took one arm and just picked me up. And I'm not light, y'all. I weigh several hundred pounds. <clears throat> I said, but when you sit down, you cut your power in half. You can't pick me up. Sat down, picked me up like a child, and threw me on the other side of it. And I said, okay, I need somebody else to do this illustration with me. Give me a weak guy. You make my, wreck my whole sermon. Go sit down. <coughs> but Evan <coughs> married a girl named Janelle. And Janelle <coughs> had $160,000 in college debt. 
just finished up a master's degree in accounting and business management. I don't know, for $168,000, you ought to own a business. But she did. She's smarter than your average bear. He's not. <clears throat> I love him death. Good guy. Great guitar player. Loves God. Prays fast. Seeks God. Wins souls. Great guy. When they got married, he was working, making $14 an hour working for a lawn care company. And on the side, he had six or eight lawns he did on Saturdays and Sunday evenings. And he made a little bit more money. And so <clears throat> probably averaged out <clears throat> about 20 bucks an hour. You say, well, you know, there's a lot of people that live on 20 bucks an hour. Well, not in Richmond, Virginia, you don't. <laughs> this church in Richmond, Virginia, this church right here would cost you a million dollars. There's a three-quarter acre lot attached to our present property, three-quarters of one acre, and they want $790,000 for it. So don't, don't think Jonesboro. Think stupid. They sell it by the square inch up there. We sell our property by the square inch. <clears throat> They're struggling to survive, struggling to live, pay her college debt. They got to get a little place to live. They're struggling. And we had a sacrifice Sunday. We call them supernatural Sundays now. We changed the name after a while. It finally got, got through to us. <clears throat> and uh, the Lord dealt with him, and I watched them over. They sit right back there. And uh, I watched them when we got time to take up the offering like we're fixing to do. And, and I watched them going back and forth, and, and I watched her go. And she mouthed. And when you're deaf and blind, you learn to read lips. And... Uh, I can't hear most of you. If there's any background noise, I might as well, you might as well just, know, don't even bother. Just keep walking. <clears throat> but I washed her mouth. Whatever you think. And he stroked a check that gave every dime they had in savings and 401s. Every dime. Every dime. I didn't know he did that. And then he pledged an additional $15,000. You do the math. Okay, you do the math. We all here have budgets. We understand. We know what life is about. I got to read this so I don't mess up. Now, two years later, he and Janelle will bring in. I asked him, I called him before I left. I said, tell me what you're going to make this year. He said a little over $200,000. Tell you the story. He's not brilliant. He's a good guy, smart, but he's not, he, you know, he ain't, he's not no rocket scientist. You know, by recruiting him to build rockets. But he was supernaturally favored. <clears throat> and out of nowhere, a guy, his neighbor, who was the manager at DuPont, the plant manager, the big guy, lived in this little condo because he moves around all over the country. He said, Hey, buddy, how you doing? They were just talking. They were getting their mail. He said, he said, you're Evan, right? He said, yes, sir. He said, Evan, he said, uh, I need some, we're adding a new area to the plant. I need some guys. Would you be interested in working for DuPont? Well, anybody here that knows anything about DuPont Corporation, they don't give him jobs out. He said, absolutely. I'm sick of chasing a lawnmower and a weed eater. I want to work at DuPont. So he went to DuPont to work. They started him out at 57000 a year which was more than he and his wife made the year previous combined. Then, within a year of getting that job, they had a huge explosion in the plant in Richmond. It was dangerous. It was horrible. I was worried, sick. I was calling, trying to get a hold of him. But they can't use their phones during those times for to set off further explosions. I was going out of my mind. I drove up there. They had a police barricade. I have a badge. I got through. I could only get so far. They wouldn't let me in. I'm going out of my mind. This is my kid. But in that dangerous explosion, he and one other guy on the shift were the only two that followed the safety protocols. They fired everybody on that shift because of it, and they promoted him to shift manager. $91,000 a year instantly. So it comes time for sacrifice offering again. 
No, not a lot of money in the 401 gave all that last year. The last sacrifice offering, him and Janelle gave $28,000. I said, well, what, what is that? He said, it's everything in my savings account. Shortly after that, his obedience and following the rules and the new guys that had come in and the production he was getting out of them, they promoted him to section manager, which means now he runs two shifts. 165000 We're fixing to build our building. I got up and I told our church, I said, now when we get in this new building, we're going to have a two-year moratorium on taking uh, Sacrifice Sunday. We're going to let you catch your breath and renew. And an old elder in our church, you don't stand up in our church. An old elder in our church stood up, one of the few elders we have. Ours all first-generation Pentecostals. He stood up and he said, Pastor, I got something to say. Can I say it? What am I going to tell the one elder in my church? No, sit down and shut up. I said, sure, Brother Kewitz. He said, can I come up there and say it? you got to understand, this man would never do that. He is so shy. He came up on the platform, I handed the mic. He said, tears running out. I said, Pastor, I am begging you for my family not to stop this offering. Another one stood up, and another one stood up, and another one stood up. And you know what the theme was? We only have a few years left. We only have a short time on this earth left. And I want to make it count because those are my kids over there and my grandkids over there and my babies over there. And I want to give them something. We're not building this building for us. We're building it for our grandkids and our great-grandkids and our great-great-grandkids and people who have never felt God. That's what we're giving about today. We're not asking you to give to a, a building. We're asking you to give to a legacy. We're asking you to invest in a legacy that's going to follow on. Janelle told me her portion of that 28000 was $8,000 from her little job that she's working. She's an entry-level CPA with a corporation. You may know them, Altria Corporation, Marlboro Cigarettes, all those Nabisco, RJR Nabisco, Foods, Kraft, all that stuff that you put your kids, you know, you feed them macaroni. That's made where I'm at. She's just a one of 500 CPAs. She scraped together $8,000 and gave it in our last sacrifice offering. She came to me two Sundays ago, smiling, and said, I've got to talk to you. I said, what? This is in December. She said, my end of year bonus just came in. I said, what was it? She said, $15,000. I can tell you stories until tomorrow at this time. My point with all of that is this. God elevates the entire congregation when we sacrifice like we're supposed to.